welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wertman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. super early morning wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in. Each and every weekday, and especially tuning in today, we always appreciate it here on the show. Welcome in. Hope you're having a great morning. Uh, We are having a great morning here on the show. Uh, Coming up in just a few minutes, uh, we will um, be able to have Keith Costigan joining the show and uh, talk to him uh, about his thoughts of the restart of the Bundesliga and, and kind of coming back to play uh, in the Bundesliga. And we're going to look at a few other things as well. Uh, he is a Liverpool supporter. Liverpool's my second favorite club. Um, and uh, so we're, we're going to have a, a conversation about that. And, and in particular, I look forward to, to having a little back and forth uh, about Jordan Henderson, who I'm I'm just not a massive fan of as a player. I get what he brings to the table um, I think others could do it better, but uh, he's a big believer in in Henderson, and so I want to get his thoughts on him and see see if maybe he can change my mind. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I wanted to open the show today, though, talking uh, about a, a topic um, that is is really a bigger issue within American soccer, and we we just don't talk about it enough. And it's this this idea of unity. Uh, we're a big country. We're we're a huge country, and and with that being you know a continent sized country, there are aspects of that that you know you have to take into account when you are this big, geographically this large. Uh, you have different climates uh, in up up north versus the south, and and versus the southeast versus the southwest versus the west coast. There's just so many variables about weather and climate and all of these different aspects, and and it makes. I'm not saying this is an excuse for the lack of unity in American soccer, but it certainly is a challenge that has to be faced head on, right? And it's it's one of those things that, uh, you know, definitely makes it more difficult. You have, you know, a state like Maine, which is just completely, uh, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum from a state of like California, not just in geography, but in population and in climate and in so many other factors. And so trying to figure out a way to bring everyone together, unified, uh, is is an issue, and the federation, uh, to their credit, have tried to do it through marketing and communications, and saying one nation, one team, and and I'm not against that. I'm not against this idea of everyone coming together. I I'm a big believer in this idea of unity, and that together we can accomplish much more than being apart. However, it's got to go beyond those words, those messages. There's got to be significant structural and systemic changes that lead us towards unity. Our system is disconnected. It's broken. And because the Federation has not knit it together They've not woven together the pieces. They've not done the necessary, required, hard work 
of working with the state associations, working with communities around the country to connect everyone, every club, every player, every coach, every system, every, every league together. Because that has not happened, we have a byproduct of this ununified system, this broken system. And so when I use the word broken, I'm not just talking about, you know, that it, that it doesn't work, but I literally mean broken from the standpoint of we're not together. It, it's broken apart. You, you have clubs suing clubs, leagues suing the federation, leagues suing leagues. There's strife in American soccer that is there unnecessarily. And so it makes it even harder to be unified We're not the United States Soccer Federation. We're the disparate states soccer federation in many ways. And part of this is this concept of fiefdoms. Webster's defines a fiefdom as an area over which someone exercises control as or in the the manner of a feudal lord, meaning I've got my space, I control my space, and I take everything that comes into my space or interacts with my space as a threat, because that is a a threat to lose my control. And so because we have a system that's not unified, that doesn't have every club and every state association and every league working in concert, it's like having an orchestra with a bunch of instruments and no sheet music to follow. Everyone's just playing their own tunes. They're playing their own notes, and it sounds horrible. And as a musician, that is like a nightmare scenario. You don't want to be in an orchestra setting with all of these musicians playing whatever the heck they want to play. It's terrible. It's ruckus. It's a noise, and it's not beautiful. Well, a unified purpose would solve that. And in in the situation of an orchestra, that would come through sheet music and a conductor. In the world of American soccer, that should come from the federation and a plan. A plan that unifies, that brings everyone together, that gets beyond these fiefdoms where clubs fight clubs for territories, for rights, that they should have never been granted in the first place. Sanctioning organizations, competing leagues, all of these feudal fiefdom issues just because the big piece, the main piece that would unify us all, our system is broken. That's the main reason. That's why we don't have unity. And until we change at that level, we're going to continue to see lawsuits. We're going to continue to see marketing and communications and other things that may be very good and well-intentioned. And I think there's a lot of people that really want to do right by the game. But we've gotten so far stuck in one way of doing things that I think we all need to hit the pause button zoom out and figure out how to solve our unity problem.
Our sponsor this half hour is Ductic Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. And uh, they are the makers of some very cool journals. Matter of fact, you could uh, watch this show and, and journal. Uh, you could uh, definitely work on your training sessions and journal. And you can find all of those journals and notebooks and trainers at ductigbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com and place an order. Use promo code DW show. You'll get 10% off of your order today at ductigbrand.com. We'll be right back after this with Keith Costigan. Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in today. Um, big pleasure to have Keith Costigan on the show. Keith, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's uh, obviously a difficult time recently, but good to have some some football back last weekend to talk about. Oh, I'm telling you, it was so great. And I had every intention um, in the Bundesliga. I, I love Dortmund. That's that's the team I, I love to, to root for. And and part of it is uh, I, d- I love the black and gold. I love the black and yellow. And then the whole yellow wall and the, just everything about it. And then obviously, as, as you can see over my shoulder here, there's a little bit of, you know, Klopp tie-in recently. And, and then the, the anthems that they sing, uh, you know, you never walk alone. You hear some of that crossover as well. So there's, there's some cool things there. Not to mention, had some Americans uh, – at the club uh, over the last few years. Um, so it's been a nice thing as well. Uh, but I had every intention of watching that match uh, Saturday morning. Uh, but my oldest son's birthday um, was on Sunday. And I was trying to get him a new bike. Um, and, and you can't find bikes anywhere. They're like gone. Priorities, man. Family comes first. We, we, we know that we, we, we talk about football. It's the most important thing in our life. It's second family comes first. So yes, you, did what you had to do. I couldn't find him a bike anywhere. I'd been looking for days and I'm like, I, 
I'm really good at finding deals and finding stuff. Right. And so I'm, I'm looking in every like sporting goods store, every Walmart, every target, like nothing, nowhere. And Friday night, right before I go to bed, I find a Walmart that was not in our city, but like a city over that said it had one bike. And so I was like, I've got to get up early in the morning on Saturday and and see if I can go get it. So I get there and I see the bike and it's not a bike that my son's going to want to ride. It's, (laughs) it's more of our age type of a bike. And, uh, (laughs) so he wanted a mountain bike and, 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 uh, spending time over in Europe, he, he loves bike riding, uh, doing a lot of that when he's in Amsterdam. So I get there, no, no other bikes there find, find another Walmart, which is further away from my house. So now I'm like an hour, almost an hour from my house, uh, and missed the entire Dortmund match, but I did get the bike. So, you know, I came home a hero with some, uh, Krispy Kreme donuts for the, for the kids and, <laughs> and a bike, uh, for a birthday. But I, I completely missed the match, which was, uh, sad because I was so looking forward to the, to that match. But we did, we did get to watch a bunch of Bundesliga action. They watched the match. I just didn't get to see it. Uh, but well, we watched it over the weekend. It was nice to have football back. How, how was it for you getting to empty stadium? I know it's, you know, you're used to calling games, but how, how, how was it for you just to, to get back into, into the groove of watching matches? Yeah, I, I think, look, for me to get up and not be involved in the broadcast was, was different. Um, but, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, for me, the obvious things, let's get that out of the way it's not the same as when fans are in the stadium. We already knew this. Fans are the most vital aspect of, of this sport and what we do. And um, you just talked about Dortmund, their fan base, how crazy that can be. To not have that, of course it's different, but we need to compare last weekend with the six or seven previous weekends where there was nothing. So if you're offering me nothing or what we had last weekend, it's a slam dunk. I want football. I don't care that there's... You know, no crowd noise. I don't care that we can hear individual people talking in the broadcast. For me, it was just great to have it back. And, you know, I've seen some people say, ah, the level, the level was really, I thought Dortmund were superb in that performance. I mean, they absolutely dominated Schalke. Um, They came in, they looked sharp. We saw another goal from Haaland. And, you know, Leverkusen, another standout performance from them. Gladbach, superb in their victory as well this weekend at Eintracht Frankfurt. So, for me, they hit the ground running. These teams played at a high level, saw some of the stats. Ball was in play more than, than it has been when, when fans are there. Nobody crowding the referee and complaining or anything. So, yeah, the, it was as positive as it possibly could have been for me uh, on a first weekend, given that there was no fans there. Yeah, it, it was I, – I, look, I was just happy it was back. I, I completely agree, co-signed everything you just said. Uh, it has been uh, really boring weekends without football on TV. It's It's been a struggle. And, uh, you know, it, it it has meant that my kids have watched a, a lot of older matches, like on YouTube and stuff like that, but it's still not the same as we all yeah. know. as yeah. you know, live action and, and, and I thought – you know, the, the quality of play for the, the break that we've had for them to be able to do some training and get back on the pitch. It was, it was certainly to me much higher level overall than what you're used to seeing. Like if you're watching, let's say the international champions cup in the summer in the States and preseason and stuff like that, I, 
I really felt like uh, several of the clubs, um, you know, almost looked better coming out of the break than they did going into it. That the rest and other things um, may may have actually helped some of them in their in their legs. And uh, obviously, with with Bayern Munich getting Lewandowski back, he he was out injured. Looked like he was not even going to be back for the remainder of the season, and he's able to get back out and start playing. So, you know, even even there, I think we that that was a pot you know, if you want to try to find positives, making, you know, lemonade out of, out of lemons, I, I felt like it was a, it was a good uh, opening weekend uh, with all of that going on. So, um, you know, I, I get people watching the game and you're like, man, I miss the fans. Well, we all do, but there's, there's not anything we can do about it right now. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I was, I was watching, um, or I think maybe reading or watching a piece on Michael Jordan um, yesterday. And they were talking about if Jordan, if the fans were gone and he was in a gym and, you know, it was bird and magic and whatever in the gym, he would still play the same way. Like he was, you know, and and I felt like the players um, really kind of, you know, carried that this weekend. Like, Yes, the passion level, it's incredible when you're there in the stadium and you have, you know, 50,000, 80,000, 100,000 fans and stands and, you know, it's, it's electric. And, and you know it, we, we, all of us who have been there and watched in person these incredible football matches know it and you feel it. It's visceral. Um, and so you're certainly not going to replace that. But I felt like the players didn't treat these like scrimmages or preseason matches. I mean, it the quality of play I thought was in focus, I thought was really good. Yeah. I, I mean, I a hundred percent agree. And I, I think it's, it, it's kind of like, I've heard this saying about boxing before, you know, it can be all surreal until that first punch is thrown and then, you know, everything is normal again. And, and that's what I kind of felt once the ball was in play, once the first challenge happened, um, you know, I even saw, uh, I think it might've been Demer by in the Leverkusen game where he knocked someone down and immediately put his hand up to help him back up. And then he was like, Oh, you're lost in the moment you're back playing again and um you know for for players it's their life too people forget you know this is you build your life around being on the football field and um i i would imagine it was very difficult the mental side of things for players to be away from it so much and 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 not be able to stay on the field and be amongst their teammates uh those are aspects we we think uh, we should think about as well. So for once they were back on the field, I, I think we saw that energy, that, that, you know, level of enthusiasm we, we needed from them. And um, look, nothing's going to take away from, from the difficulties that the world is going through right now with COVID, but it, it was just a welcome distraction. It was a couple of hours where you could sit back and watch and go, this is the sport I love and, and I'm invested in it again. So, you know, credit, credit to Bundesliga the way they did it. Um, I, I thought they rolled it out superbly well. And they've set the, you know, they've set the bar or the, the bar for, for all the other leagues to follow. And, and I hope that's going to be the case moving forward as well. But credit Bundesliga for leading the way. Yeah, I, I agree. And one of the things that, that I think is interesting is, is been Dortmund's ability to bring in some young talent over the last few years that, it, that it, you know, you're seeing get moved. And that was showcased again this weekend. You brought up uh, Holland who, with another, another goal. Um, obviously, you had Dembele that was sold to Barcelona, Pulisic to Chelsea. Um, and, and Holland seems to be a name that's not going to be on that Dortmund uh, 
sheet for very long. I mean, this is going to be like a house flippers episode here. Like we're going to have him for a few months and move him. Uh, do you think they can keep him or do you think they're going to, the offers are just going to be so large that they move him on and where you think he might go? Yeah, I think the offers are obviously going to be there. Um, but Dortmund, um, Dortmund picked this as a strategic signing. They said, look, this is a young player who adds to her team now. They weren't looking at three years down the road. They said, if you come in, you can play now. So we're giving you the platform to play in Champions League straight away. Maybe some of the other big clubs are reading that Juventus were saying, well, we'd want them to play with a U23s. Dortmund didn't do that. So they're saying, you win by playing straight away. We win by getting a quality player on the field. And we both win when the time comes for you to move on because we get a big transfer fee and you get the opportunity to play at one of the very elite. By the way, I, I consider Dortmund one of the very elite clubs in Europe as well. Um, but I, I think they're going to hold on to him for one more year. I think that was the plan. I think um, Erling Haaland, his dad and his team have been very strategic in that. There's no point in him going anywhere. He'll find his feet, get one full season in the Bundesliga. And then, you know, take your pick. I, I think every big club in European football is going to want his signature. Um, he's, look, Harry, people will probably liken him to Harry Kane because of the, the, the physical components. Um, for me, he's, he's ahead of Harry Kane at the same age in terms of development. His finishing ability, he's quicker than you probably think for such a, a big guy as well. Um, so I think the sky's the limit. The, the one player I would probably compare him to is the man at, at Bayern, which is Robert Lewandowski, who, of course, broke through at Dortmund and, and, and made that move. So I wonder if Bayern are looking at the age of Lewandowski as well and saying, well, we've done this once before. I, I, I don't think Dortmund would let that happen again. But, you know, Bayern, Real Madrid, Manchester United, Man City, all of those clubs are going to be looking at Erling Haaland when he, when he, when he comes up next season. So we're just going to go completely fantasy land here for a minute. Um, how do you think he would fit as a player under Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool? Do you think he would fit at all, or do you think he would be better to go to you know a, a Bayern or a Real Madrid or a Man, Man United type of club in terms of just Klopp's playing philosophy? Sure. Well, I would say Robert Lewandowski, where did he make the breakthrough? Who was his coach when he came through? So I, I think... Look, Liverpool are a pressing team, but if you look at their pressing numbers, they're, they're not as high as they once were because teams tend to bypass Liverpool's press. So Liverpool have evolved over the last couple of years as a team. Now, is he the same as Roberto Firmino? No. But, you know, Firmino brings other attributes. That doesn't mean the replacement for Firmino when that time comes is going to be a like-for-like like because the team evolves. Um, it's no longer a team that is trying to become one of the best. It is one of the best. So um, I, I think, you know, if Klopp was presented the opportunity to have Erling Haaland in, in his team, he would see it as a positive. And, you know, if the deal was right for the club, I think Erling Haaland would, would certainly, you know, add to Liverpool's squad. I don't, I, I wouldn't see it happening this summer just because I don't think that's on Klopp's agenda in terms of a, a number nine of that stature. But yeah, 12 months down the road, you never know. Um, but I would have no doubt, you know, Jurgen Klopp would, would find a way to get the best out of Erling Haaland. And again, not, not, to, not to big up Haaland too much. I don't think you have to be that great a coach to get the best out of him. I think wherever he goes, he's going to score goals. That's how good he is. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big, big fan. And uh, my, my son is, uh, my oldest son especially, has been 
watching a lot of his videos and movements and, and things. It's, it, it's, it's, I think he's a beyond his age in, in terms of just some of the, the mental pieces of the way he plays. Um, and, and I, I enjoy watching him. Uh, so I, I, I'm with you. I, it, you know, if, if this was like a ratings of how you, how you think he's going to go in the future, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm buying, <laughs> not selling, right. You know, I'm a big believer. So, um, you're a big Liverpool supporter, you know, talked about Klopp and, uh, where, where did that begin for you? What was that connection for you with, with Liverpool and, and, and the game of football in general? Like where did this love affair that drove you all the way to the point of broadcasting and all that? But I know, I know Liverpool's a special connection for you. Where did that begin for you? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Dublin, so Dublin, Liverpool has a, a strong link. Anyway, we have a, a ferry that goes from, or we used to have a ferry that goes from Dublin to Liverpool. So, I was really young. I would have been about six years old, five, six, where I used to copy my brother a lot. And he would say, I do this. And I would say, so do I. And he said, I support Liverpool. And I said, so do I. And he said, well, actually, I support Man United. So, And I never said that. I said, well, I support Liverpool. So it was kind of like that first time going against him. Um, and I remember seeing uh, Liverpool on TV wearing the, we talk about the red, you have the red jersey there. Uh, a little bit like you at Dortmund saying the, the, the yellow wall and, they had this all yellow away strip that Ian Rush had on and it, it just captured me. I was like amazed by this. And it was a game at Villa Park where I think Rush got a hat-trick. And yeah, I was, I was, I was hooked. I remember, I remember at seven sitting watching the European Cup final, Liverpool uh, against Rome in Rome, where Grobelar does the, you know, bandy legs and goal and stuff like that. So there was, there was never a doubt. You know, I, I, got, I got to see them in Ireland a few times, but then... I went to Anfield in 1986, and they beat Norwich 6-2. And it was like, wow. This You're is- hooked. It was a, it was, if there yeah. was any doubt before, it was over. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like, oh, my God, this is, this is where I belong. This is, this is my people. So, you know, I've had a, a strong connection with the city. I, I get back a lot. I have a really good relationship with the club. Um, so it's, you know, I, I've, I often get people saying to me, well, you're a, a broadcaster. How do you... I can broadcast Manchester United games, anybody. For me, when I'm doing a game, it's about the game. Um, If anything, I'd probably be more critical of Liverpool than anything else. But I I think everybody was a fan, or everybody is a fan at heart. Everyone should be a fan of this game at heart. And I could never lose that because that's the the little boy in me that gets excited every weekend to watch games. And it's it's one of the reasons why I think, you know, I'm, I'm so passionate about my job still because I've never lost that, you know, fire inside me for this game or, or for Liverpool Football Club. So how growing up as a kid in Dublin and then obviously being a massive, you know, Liverpool supporter. Um, and and as, as you pointed out, it is the jersey is hanging here over yeah. my shoulder. <laughs> they, they, they are my second favorite club and I love watching them play um you know i've i've gotten questions about how i felt when uh barcelona had the epic collapse uh at anfield and um my brother-in-law was the first one to ask me who who's a swansea supporter and and so you know i think it was i think he was asking but also kind of jabbing at like you know and so how's that feel you know kind of thing and and I told him, I said, uh, you know, look, um, that night I was sick, like to my stomach, I was sick. I just, I, you know, was not shocked um, because I was not a fan of the, 
uh, Valverde, the manager, and and I I just was not shocked at the results. I knew Klopp and the and Liverpool were gonna come ready to play. I was actually sick to my stomach on the Camp New leg when <laughs> Dembele missed, uh, the, chance. Yeah, missed yeah. the chance, right to go four zero. I something in the pit of my stomach just <laughs> churned. And, and, um, and, and for, I, I didn't know what, you know, obviously had no idea about the future, but I was just like, that was not good. Like it, it was just that bad for me. And then, and that night it was, it was, it was really bad. It was terrible. Um, I needed about a week to get over it. Um, and then, you know, obviously I was all in on Liverpool versus Tottenham in the Champions League final. There was no, no doubt about it. And, and at that point, I could then go back and watch, like, all of the recap videos and not get sick to my stomach. And I, and I enjoyed, like, the radio guys, which has, you know, gone viral. They're, the, all the calls and them up in the booth and just going crazy. Yeah, and, and, and so, you know, it was great uh, you know, to go back and do that. And I'll watch that. And I kind of just, I don't know if, if it's, like, compartmentalization here, but I just kind of, like, I'm just going to sit over here for a minute that I'm a Barcelona supporter and I'm just going to watch this as a fan of Liverpool and just try to not dwell on the fact that this is happening to my, my club over here. Cause I, I do, I do really enjoy Liverpool and, and, and root for them. Um, so, you know, but it was, it was a crazy night. Uh, that whole thing. It was, um, I'll, I'll tell you a, a really cool story quickly on it. Um, Tony Warner, who's an ex-Liverpool goalkeeper, uh, both he and myself uh, win. I, I'd said I have an extra ticket. So Tony came and picked me up at the airport in Manchester. And I was like, well, you'd never pick me up. And he's like, it's Liverpool, Barcelona. I would have picked you up in like where. So we're joking. We, we went to um, a, a local pub beforehand, Glenbrook, which is right by Anfield, up by uh, Walton Breck Road. And... Um, one of my colleagues at Fox, he works in graphics, had said, yeah, I'm going to be at that game. And I said, okay, well, let me know. And he happened to message me on the way. And he says, the, the guy has let me down on the ticket. I said, oh, no. So we happened to be sitting with the owner of, of the Glen Book. And he said, what's wrong? I said, oh, a friend of mine missing a ticket. And he says, I might have a ticket for him. And this guy, he'd come all the way over from America. He came in and they said, look, you're going to have to go with that guy there and head down to a different pub. And he was kind of like, what's going on here? And got him the ticket and he said, what you want? And the guy says, you need, we need to do face value. It's not, you know, we're not trying to make any money here. Go enjoy the game. And lo and behold, it's one of the most incredible European nights ever. So we met up afterwards and he was like, I can't thank you. And I was like, don't thank me. I happen to be sitting beside the guy who you need to thank. So it was, um, it was crazy. We were sitting in the pub and Tony predicted 2-2. Uh, on the night, he said Liverpool will score, but you can't stop Messi. I predicted Liverpool would win, but two one. Uh, and and but there was a feeling in the first half when when Robertson pushed Messi's head down, and you know he kind of looked back, and the, the, there was the atmosphere there, and the fans giving the message to Suarez as well in the first half. But the, the one moment when the second goal went in, I had no doubt Liverpool were going to come back and win because it just erupted and you just looked at the body language. You just felt the life come out of these Barca players. So I've been to Anfield and so many times, Roma the year before, Villarreal in the Europa League. It's a special place on European nights. 
and it, it just pushed Liverpool over. I don't call it a Barcelona collapse. I call it just Liverpool being absolutely incredible. And I will still say over the balance of two legs, fully deserved as well. Because I oh, Liverpool, absolutely. Yeah, Liverpool, the, the best spell of football for Barcelona in the two legs was the first half at Anfield. You know, after Liverpool went 1-0, I thought Barcelona had a spell of 20 minutes where they played really well. Beyond that, I thought Liverpool were the best team in the tie. And yeah, it, incredible night. And safe to say I didn't sleep too much that night either afterwards celebrating too. So great memories. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't blame you. Uh, yeah, that, that, those two legs were the microcosm of why I didn't like Valverde. Sure. Uh, you know, I just like... You know, you look at Klopp and, and, and you can just tell like his players love him and he loves his players. Like there's a bond there. Um, I, I think he's the best, you know, I, and this is not at all um, meant to be disparaging about his, his tactical abilities, but I think he's the best man manager in football. Like, and it's not close. I just think the guy's that good. Uh, on the man management side and everything that he is Valverde is, is not and Barcelona when they when they went out on the field in Anfield it, it was like we're going to try not to lose or lose too bad sure and and you just even even though they had that spell after the the one goal where you know, I mean, it's Barcelona. I didn't expect Messi and, and Suarez and them to just lay down. Sure. So I expected them to kind of, you know, try to fight their way back into it. They, they knew one goal could probably be enough uh, coming into the, to the matchup three goals. But, uh, you know, just watching their body language from the top, they didn't walk out there like, you know, we're crusaders here to, you know, wreck the night for Anfield. Um, and, you know, on top of the the fact that tactically I felt like he set the team up terribly anyway if you're going to if you're going to basically say uh we're going to play 442 with Busquets uh, in your midfield trying to run and chase guys you don't you're you're not using the right tools in the right way that's that's not that's not who Busquets is I was surprised cuz in the first leg I thought Semedo did a really good job when he came on and then if, to to not play him again I thought you you handed a little bit of uh, uh impetus over to Liverpool at the start of that second leg. But it's, it, Barca, is, it's a difficult situation, I feel, watching from the outside because when you're building something, everybody's fighting together. But at a club like Liverpool and, and the, even at Manchester United with Ferguson, they, Ferguson was very good about having all the players together. Forget about tactics. and You mentioned man management. And if there was ever a sliver of a, a player not buying in, they were gone. And so, but at Barcelona, at Real Madrid, it, it seems like you have to bring in a big name every year. You have to sign someone. You have to realign the team. And I, I think that really affects the chemistry moving forward. And when, when they were at their best, Barcelona, it was Messi was part of a team. You were building a team and Messi was in it. And I think they've now become a team that's building a team around Messi to compensate for certain things. And... I don't, I don't know if that Messi's the best player in the world, but you still have to incorporate him as part of your team. And, and it doesn't seem like that when I watch Barcelona anymore. They're, they're not bringing through as many young players that want to fight for that jersey that we've seen in the past. And, and those are vital aspects of, of, of a team with the culture that they have for continuing on. And 
Uh, remember, before, before Messi, Barcelona weren't very successful in European competition. So it is going to be interesting to see afterwards how they go back and, and, and compete again without him. But it's, it's, it's certainly not the club that it was a decade ago when, when you know, Pep brought them through. And God, they played some of the best football I think we've ever seen in, in European competition. Yeah, the, in, in, in my opinion, and, and I know I'm biased here, but I, I think that the Busquets, Xavi, and Yesta midfield is the greatest midfield of all time. Uh, it, just the way they controlled matches was just insane. Uh, but, but to your point, those were all, all three of those guys were homegrown. They came through the club. Uh, this, this current president and board uh, just have, have, to me, tried to copy Real Madrid too much in – Become the Gala- club, yeah, yeah, Galactico type club rather than allowing guys to come through the club that, you know, it, it's kind of like watching the, the, the last dance Jordan docs. Like you got to have the, the complimentary pieces. Sure. You know, if you, if you tried to just bring in the dream team from the 92 Olympics to play alongside Jordan for every game, I don't think that lasts for, for very long. Um, where it could, it, they could get them through the Olympics, but but Jordan, Pippen, and then you have those role player guys around them. Uh, that and, and that is not to say that Busquets and Xavi and Iniesta are just role guys with Messi, but but you, you I'm agree with your jersey. point. They understood the jersey. Yes, uh, someone someone for me, Pedro, when he was up on oh, I miss him. Complimentary piece, um, and even if you look, at, I just recently read uh, zonal marking on on the the tactical changes of the game uh, over the course of the last 25 years. And even if you look at that original Barca team, it was more, you know, tiki-taka, whatever you want to call it, pass and move. But when you went to Luis Enrique, it was more about the front three. It was about individuals creating moments within the game. Messi, Suarez, and, uh, and Neymar. Um, so so the, the team has evolved and, and gone away from, from what probably brought them into this, you know, um, uh, you know, level of European dominance. And, and I would say, you mentioned the board and, and the president. The, the last coach for me that probably had the, that say in there and had that pull is Louis Enrique. Pep obviously was making the, the, the calls, but now you get the sense when they're bringing a manager in, it's you sit there, but we're going to tell you what to do. That, that doesn't bode well long-term. You might have success over a year because you have good players, but long-term... Pep is going to be successful at City because he's calling the shots. People are giving him what he needs. Same for Jurgen Klopp. You don't see it at very many other clubs in, in Europe right now. And, and that's why, for me, those are the two best clubs in Europe right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why, and it wasn't talked about a ton, but, you know, there's a lot of speculation Xavi was going to be brought in to replace Valverde. And, and, Everything I kept reading is the board was the reason why he said, no, not right now. Um, you know, publicly it wasn't, he didn't blast the board, but it's well known that he's supporting a candidate. Um, I think the election's next summer um, and, and Bartomeu is, is term limited out. So there's going to be a new president next summer. I'm just hoping it's somebody that gets back more to that uh, Cruyff, Pep um, and, and, and Chavi uh, type of mentality, philosophy, or uh, about what you were talking about, bringing those players up through the club. Um, and to me, those it's just it's critical. You can bring in pieces around and certainly supplement, but I, I think there's something to be said for coming, you know, from within. Um, and I, I think that's one of the things that makes the Trent Alexander Arnold 
connection with Liverpool so great, right? Is, is his coming from, uh, you know, from the city um, and, and being from the club and you've got these other younger guys who are, you know, trying to break through now, come through the club. What do you see over the next few years in, in that regard? Because I think Liverpool's at a little bit of a, a crossroads of do we keep importing, which they need it to do. The stockpile was bare. They needed to bring in Firmino and Mane and Salah and others um, to, to kind of get things up. And, and obviously we know uh, where that's taken them. But over the long term, do you think that Klopp and, 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 the, and the, the club management are going to try to bring in more Alexander Arnolds and lean more towards that, what, what was under Cruyff and, and Pep, the, the, the Barcelona homegrown idea? Or do you think they continue to, to try to, you know, bring in from the outside players um, and kind of be the purchasers on the market? Yeah, I think it's, you have to find a balance. Um, I think Neko Williams is a, a right back that's coming through at Liverpool that is incredibly highly rated. Curtis Jones, if you ask anyone at the club, he's one of the most confident young players, proper scouser, um, who has all the talent in the world. And um, I, I interviewed Klopp once and he said, if it ever comes down to it and there's a, a, a top player and a local player and they're at the same level, you pick the local player every time. Now, if there's any discrepancy in ability, you go for the best player. So I don't think we're going to see Liverpool say, well, he's local, we're going to play. But they're at a situation right now. Alex Inglethorpe, who I've sat down and spoken with, has done an absolutely incredible job with the academy. And there is players at Liverpool now with the ability to make the step up. Uh, Trent was the first one. Um, you know, I think you're going to see Williams make the step up more on a full-time basis. You may even see Trent move position into midfield as well. And then you're going to see Curtis Jones break through too. So um, I, I think Klopp, in Klopp, you have a manager that wants that local element. He wants the fighters. He wants to, he values the grit in players more, more so than, than, than most coaches do. So that doesn't mean Liverpool won't go out and sign big players. They did it with Allison to bring in a goalkeeper um, of the highest level. They did it with Virgil van Dijk. But Klopp meets, I, I would say, 95% of his signings before he, he brings them in. He's big on character. He's big on personality in the dressing room. So they have to still fit that Liverpool DNA before they sign. It won't, it won't, it won't be somebody in, in, in a boardroom signing a player and then calling Jurgen Klopp and saying, we've signed him already. That, that will never be the case. So uh, Trent moving into midfield, we're getting close to a, to a topic. I, I told you I wanted to, to, to <laughs> hammer out with you. Where, how do you think Trent fits in the midfield and, and, and where do you think he would play under Klopp in a, in a midfield role rather than right back? Well, he's different to what Liverpool have in midfield right now. Um, he's more of a, uh, you know, a superb passing range. He's got, he's got a passing range with both feet that any midfielder would kill for. Um, I think he's more of a player that would dictate the pace of a game get on the ball, spray it um, so you can play through him. A little bit like you've seen Joshua Kimmich come into the middle of midfield. Kimmich's more of a defender. I think Trent's more of a footballer, if that makes sense. He's more on the ball attributes. Um, does that mean he necessarily fits in with the way Liverpool play now with their midfield and big games? I would probably say no. Um, you know, in the very biggest games, Klopp has gone with a midfield with Henderson, Wijnaldum and Fabinho. And they absolutely just dominate 
with their with their their pace, their speed of play, and how quickly they close down those central areas. So, in the biggest games, is he going to play there? Not yet, not for a while. He may never end up going there, but I, I think he would offer something different, more of a. Uh, I, not saying he's like Xavi Alonso, but more along that style, like a player who gets it and, and tries to spray the ball around. But the Liverpool midfield, for me, in big games, you, you look at the track record uh, in, in European competition, in the league against the top six, that midfield has been absolutely incredible. So I know I know you ha- you might feel like you have individual, individual issues with it, but but not me. For me, they're, they're, they're top level. Now, I love Fabinho. And I love Wijnaldum. I have no problem if he wants to play Trent over Jordan Henderson. Now, I get Jordan is a great leader. And everything I've read about him says the guys absolutely respect him, love him, great leader. I'm not, I, I don't rate him as a footballer uh, like you do. Um, and, and so I'm curious, what do you see in him? Because I, I am not, I, even now, I, you know, like my son the other day, I told him that we were going to, we were going to do an interview and I was telling him about, you know, your view of Henderson versus my view of Henderson. And, and, uh, and, and he doesn't quite understand my, my views on Henderson. Cause he's like, well, they're having all this success. And I was like, yeah, I get it. But I think there's a lot of midfielders that could go into Liverpool's midfield and, and outplay him, uh, as part of the, the three, uh, in, in Klopp's midfield three. So Give me, give me, give me your, your Henderson defense here. Okay, I'll, I'll go back to a conversation we just had. This is the problem with teams like Barcelona when they're being successful and they say, this player fits in well with us, Pedro. You know what would be even better? Let's go out and get a big-name player. He is an, an 8 out of 10 every week for me, you know, in terms of the work rate, commitment, whether Liverpool, you know, three, four years ago weren't having as good a spell to now – his work rate and level of commitment on the field is second to none. Underrated pass of the ball and speed of play. Um, I think this season, Liverpool had a dip when Henderson came back out of the holding role and Fabinho came back in because the speed of play had slowed down a little bit. Um, Fabinho's probably a better defensive midfielder when the opposition has possession. When Liverpool has possession, he's not as quick on the ball as, as Henderson. I think when Henderson plays on that right-hand side, he allows Trent to go forward because Trent's not, Trent's not a very good defender. 1v1 situation, right. he's not. But, but Henderson's ability to cover in those wide situations, read the situation, press to deny that ball into the area that Trent has, has, has left, has been massive for Liverpool. And I will go even further. You go back to three, four years ago, everybody mentions the Gerrard slip as, as the reason why Liverpool lost the league. For me, it was the red card Jordan Henderson picked up against Manchester City in that win where he was suspended for the next couple of games. Without him, Liverpool lost that little bit of bite in midfield. And for me, there's no, there's, it, 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 it's not just a coincidence that the form dipped. We weren't as strong defensively. So um, as well as that, yeah, I've, I've been around the club. Um, I've been around Jordan a number of times. He is absolutely incredible. Um, for one of the first times I met with Klopp, um, he had this line about Jordan because I, I wanted to do a piece on Jordan. I said, what do you think of Jordan? He said, what a player. Like, you know, his ability to cover ground. And he says, and, what, and he has balls. I says, I start laughing. What, what do you mean? He said, the biggest legend in this club retired and he was handed the captaincy. Boom. Um, still has it. 
not easy to follow a legend. And, he, and he's followed a legend in Steven Gerrard. And he has Liverpool on the cusp of, what, two, two league defeats in the last two years with him being pivotal part of that. Two Champions League finals in a row. He's been pivotal to that. So um, I think if you want to take a player out and say, individually, is he better than this midfielder? It, it doesn't quite work like that in a team concept. And I think he is exactly the kind of player that Jurgen Klopp wants in his group and can continually build around. He'll be one of those pieces that will stay, same as Milner, um, vital to the success in the DNA of Liverpool Football Club. You made a good case. <laughs> I'm still not convinced that someone else couldn't play his role better, but I will, I will, I will agree that, that you made a good case. Like, <laughs> That's all I can do. Look, you, I, you brought me further than I thought you could. Uh, I, I'm still not convinced, but... All I can say is when you watch him live, for me, he does so much. How quickly he wins possession back, how quickly he moves the ball. When he's in that right wing position, he's a superb crosser of the ball as well. Um, you ask any of his teammates if they enjoy playing with them, and they'll all tell you what they think of, of Jordan Henderson as well. So, yeah, for, for me, he'll be at Liverpool for a long time to come, and that's, that's good news for the club. So you're saying he's the Dennis Rodman of, the, of, of Liverpool Football Club, is what you're saying? <laughs> no, but you, you know what, though? It's, if, you look at, um, if you look at Alex Ferguson, he's always had midfielders like Darren Fletcher and Nicky Butt, you know, players that you're like, if you take them out of the club, are they going to be – pitched in somewhere else and be just as successful. Maybe not, but they were so pivotal to his success. John O'Shea, another player. For me, Jordan Henderson, Klopp saw some of that. I, I never even have to worry about asking him to work hard. Success is never going to make him drop that level. So he sets, and to have someone like that wearing the captain's armband is, is really, really important in, in a Klopp setup. Um, yeah, massive personality, massive player, and I'm so glad he's in our team. So um, just a, a, a slight uh, uh, tactical question here, not to get too nerdy, but one of the things I've observed about Liverpool, and I'm curious as, as someone who, you know, loves to watch like Jordi Alba play as a left back, um, I think that, that Robertson and Trent both have the ability, the technical ability, the tactical ability, the speed, every, everything, every tool, resources they, they need to be more effective in and around the box, especially like getting to the, uh, the inline and being able to kind of do those diagonal back passes toward the penalty spot that Alba will just set up on a platter for Messi to run onto. Um, why do you think Klopp doesn't have Robertson and Trent get to that space? It seems like they, they, they go down the sides and then once they kind of, reach that six yard box area they just kind of go lateral with a cross across the face rather than kind of drive it in on the dribble and 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 lay it off to a you know a Mane or or a Salah or something like that I, I mean first of all I, I would say you look at output all right you look in European football over the last two seasons um, I would imagine if you take the fullback position and you type in goal uh, goal involvements, goals and assists. I would probably venture to say Robertson and Trent are, are one and two. I'm just so, being greedy here. I just uh, want more. Um, I just I, want more. I think they could yeah, do more. Yeah, for me, I mean, two years in a row, double figures and assists from Trent Alexander-Arnold. That's never been done by a fullback in the Premier League. Um, I, I think there's an element of 
maintaining shape. There's an element of with Klopp, it's not necessarily getting to the byline pullback. It's, it's playing that crossing quickly. The, 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 the pace of play is probably a little bit quicker than what you would see in, in, um, in Spain. Hence the trend to corner kick last year, a little bit too quick for Barcelona. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I think when you get in that area and you see that window in behind the defenders and in front of the goalkeeper, the idea is to hit that quickly and players are attacking that space. You go that little bit longer and it's closed down, the pullback, then all of a sudden you can be really hurt on the counter because you can't get back in and maintain a shape and it makes it more difficult for your three-man midfield to cover those runs. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think you get, you know, I'm someone as a, you know, a, a coaching nerd. I've taken all the coaching courses. Um, I, I think the use of the fullbacks has been incredible. Both are allowed to get forward at once because of that three-man midfield. Um, you sacrificed one of the midfielders to give width. That allows Mane and Salah to play really narrow to both be 20 goal strikers. And one of the reasons is because they don't have to be as wide. So um, no complaints from me on the way Klopp. Oh, I'm not complaining at all. I was just curious. It's a curiosity thing because um, Alba and Robertson, from a tools perspective, have very similar tools. You know, like the, if you look at their makeup, they're like they're very similar tools. Uh, so I look at an Alba who, who is willing to kind of, I guess, go an extra 10 yards, right? And, and I, would say, I would say with that, Messi's the type that will come to the edge of the box, right? Not the one to try to attack the space in behind. So when Alba goes, Messi's coming underneath. Whereas if Robertson's going... Mane is probably going in there. How many times have you seen Mane score headers off crosses? Um, Salah's attacking the far post, you know, in behind defenders. So it, it's, you know, it, it fits Liverpool's DNA, I think. Um, and again, if you look at assists, Liverpool have three, you know, a wonderful front three, but most of their assists come from the two fullbacks. And it was kind of like last year, everyone's saying, oh, well, that's, that's kind of, you know, stands out but it's it's the way Klopp wants it to be and it's it's not just a standout for one year it's doing it again this year and it may change you know in terms of personnel or as a team evolves but right now they are they are two of the five that Liverpool really attack with yeah I I agree look I again I'm just being greedy here uh wearing my Liverpool hat for today's interview just for you um, you know, just, just being greedy, wanting, wanting more. Like, so you got 10, let, let's go for 15. Uh, so, but, uh, anyway, uh, last question here is you kind of look at the, the, the football landscape around the world, obviously domestically you're based here in the U S uh, but you know, the game around the world, we know the Bundesliga has restarted as a broadcaster. What are you looking at in terms of, the near future and maybe even into the fall as a broadcaster, what, what are you thinking uh, is, is going to play out in terms of, you know, supporters broadcast the way that they're handled. What's kind of your, if you could put on your Nostradamus hat here for a second and give us a little prognostication, what's your guesses? What do you think we're going to see here over the next few months? Yeah, I, I really don't see it. I think what we've seen in, in the Bundesliga last weekend is, is probably going to be the norm for the foreseeable future. Um, whether that be, Till you know Christmas time or, or a little before then, I, I I don't know, but I just don't see without a vaccine that you know people are going to be as comfortable, um, you know, forty fifty thousand people inside a stadium, and I don't think governments will be as comfortable doing that, knowing the potential ramifications of it. So 
Um, again, you know, those people that maybe felt it was negative without fans, I wasn't. I'm like, this is, it's, it's a positive to have football back given the situation we're in. If we can continue to have football while we're still going through this and, and it has to be without fans, I, I think that's, that's going to be the new norm. Um, and hopefully we get back on track sooner rather than later. Um, you know, you hear talk about a vaccine. Hopefully that, that, that happens, you know, by the end of the year, or early next year. But I, I don't think people fully understand what it would mean for football to just stop and stand still and wait for that to happen because there's so many jobs tied to this sport. There's so many different people that would be affected if the sport can continue in some way and bring in revenue in some way. So I think what you saw last weekend in the Bundesliga, that's going to be the new norm. Maybe maybe I'll be calling games from the, the comfort of my own couch. Um, uh, not what I want to do, but it, it, it's better than nothing. And, and it's better to have some football than no football at all. I, I completely co-sign that. Uh, so some football is better than no football. And even if it's a little weird in its presentation with no fans, uh, you know, I, I, I was telling my wife the other night, we were out walking and I, I, I said, uh, it would be kind of cool if you could, um, and the technology is already here for this. It's just whether there's enough internet bandwidth to pull this off. But if you could put remote cameras with many like speakers, like, you know, the size of an Alexa or whatever, maybe a little bit bigger on the camera stand in, in various seats around the, the stadium and allow fans to basically rent the camera and they would be able to kind of, you know, scream and chant as if they were in the stadium, right? Uh, and they would come out of that speaker. Could be like, get on your bike, get on Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, and then be able to see from that camera. Like that would be their, their, their so they're paying like a seat fee, you know, to watch virtually. I, I think, you know, um, I know that I've seen different things bandied about, about like what could happen if this thing lasts for too long. But, um, you know, Obviously, my hope is we get to, to real butts and seats as soon as possible in a safe way, for, for sure. And I think we all agree on that. But uh, who knows what kind of innovations we'll see coming out of this stuff in the future where, you know, you have a stadium that seats, you know, um, 40, 50,000 and, and you've got a demand like Liverpool and Anfield going, hey, this is all we can get in here. Now we could sell virtual seats and you can, you know, join in the fun. Who knows what, what could happen? Yeah, no, look, you know, these kind of times, it, it is about people thinking outside the box, you know, thinking in, in different ways to, to bring the game to people. And look, I wouldn't be surprised, um, you know, in the short term, it wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be against it. But long term, like you say, I just can't wait to have fans back in. You know, I, I, I was thinking the other day of, you know, um, the next time I'm in a stadium, the next time I walk in and, you know, hear the, the, the chants of the crowd and I'll, I'll try not let it pass me by, if that makes sense. Try, try not take it for granted again, because it's, it's something that, you know, we probably forget about. We walk in, this is amazing. And I, I didn't realize last time I did it, I'd be waiting so long until the next time I do it. So I, I definitely won't take that for granted again. Yeah, me neither. Um, I mean, I watched Messi score a hat trick and an assist against Panama playing for Argentina in the Copa America in Chicago in 2016. That was unbelievable night. And then I, I went to, uh, I flew in to go to Iniesta's last Classico and, uh, in 2018. And, um, it was a two, two draw, but I was, I was fortunate to, to be able to see Messi Suarez, Ronaldo and Bale score the four goals. 
<laughs> not a bad night, right? And, uh, and although it's great to watch these matches on TV and hear guys like you call these matches and give us all the information, as you said, it's, it's so incredible to just to be there, you know? Yeah, so. I, I, even pictures, anything else, it's, it's, it's the memory that, wow, I, I was there. You, you, you can't beat it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, Keith, keep up the good work. Uh, appreciate you, you coming on the show. Uh, hopefully, we'll hear you on a broadcast here soon. Um, as you, you, you've got uh, MLS coverage, you've got Bundesliga coverage with Fox, uh, maybe even some uh, uh, Mexican league coverage possibly there coming on Fox. So uh, definitely looking forward to that and, and hearing your voice. Uh, you can hear the passion for the game ooze out of your voice, and I, I love it. So uh, keep up the great work. Thanks for coming on the show. Look forward to having you back on again soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And hopefully next time we're chatting, we're chatting about the crowds at the stadium again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. See ya. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the lives of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Thanks to uh, Keith Costigan for uh, coming on the show today. We appreciate it. Thanks for watching. As always, you can watch at danielworkman.com forward slash watch. We appreciate all the views, all the comments, all the feedback, all of the support. Um, feel free to uh, to reach out to us and, and send us your thoughts anytime. DMs are open on Twitter. Love to chat with anyone who is up for a conversation. We'll see everyone again tomorrow.